There we go. It's helpful if you have the PowerPoint for this morning and not for tonight up on your computer. Have you ever eaten an entire bag of Halloween candy and then right afterward think, why did I do that? I, I've done that. Have you ever lashed out and spoken a, a, a hurtful word, even a cruel word, to the person you love the most in the world? Something you wouldn't say to a stranger, but you say it to your spouse, or to your child, or to your sibling, or to your parent. Have you ever done that? And then afterward go, why did I do that? A lot of things that, that we do in this world that we just don't understand. Why is it that we do that? And if you had the secret to human behavior, how much money could you make? How much do people spend to go to psychiatrists and psychologists to understand why is it that I do this? And how do I get out of it? Why do we do the things that we do? That's the question we're going to ask an answer, because the world may have their answers, but I will tell you that the Bible has the answer. This morning we're going to study James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, and we'll see the answer to this question in this text. And before we get any farther, I do want to give credit. I learned a lot of the material that I'm going to be sharing this morning, I learned from a man named Brett Aquin. He is a biblical counselor, and he teaches other people how to help people. Um, when you are a preacher, there are people that come to you with problems with anxiety, depression, addictions, marriage problems, problems with their kids, and they want you to help them and being able to speak God's word into them and use God's word to help them with the problems. That's exactly what I know that I needed. And then this material he uses in all of his counseling to help anyone understand why do they do the things that they do and Preachers steal things, but also he said, you need to teach this to other people. And I have found this material very helpful, and I wanted to share it with you this morning. So why do we do the things that we do? Let's look at James chapter 4, verse 1. What is the source of wars and fights among you? What is the source of wars and fights among you? In other words, why are you warring and fighting? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? What is the source of the behavior? That's what we're talking about here. Why are you doing? What is the behavior that you're showing? Why? Well, he says in verse 1, is it not, does, it, does it not come from your passions that wage war within you? Why do we do the things that we do? It's because we have passions. Other translations bring it out as selfish desires cravings, or lust. In other words, why is it that you're doing what you're doing? It's because in your heart you are desiring something. You are wanting something. You are lusting after something. Jesus says it in a slightly different way. He says your behavior comes from your heart. Now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 15, 17 through 20 and show this. In Matthew 15, Jesus says, don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? For what comes from the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. From the heart, he's going to bring out behaviors. There are three different types of behaviors you can have, either thoughts, actions, 
or speech. Notice he starts with, from the heart comes evil thoughts, and then he gives a list of actions. Murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, and thefts, and then he talks about your speech. False testimony and slander. These are the things that defile a person. Why is it that we speak what we speak, do what we do, and say what we say? It's because in our heart we are wanting something. You look at other worldly philosophers, they'll say, no, it's because you are a trained being and it's because you are a creature of habit. It has nothing to do with your heart. You're just trained to do it that way. Or it's because of what something your father did to you when you were a kid. Or, or any number of other excuses. The Bible says the reason why you are doing what you are doing is because in your heart you are wanting something. You are responding to a situation. Why is it that we do the things that we do? It's because we want what we want. That phrase will come up a few more times. Here's another way to illustrate this. You are this tree, and you are in a circumstance or a scenario. Say you are stuck in traffic, and you are in this scenario, circumstances always cause growth. Either you can have the fruit of the Spirit, or you can have fruit of the flesh, right? So say you're stuck in traffic, someone caught you, cuts you off, and you respond in a thorny way. And you respond with anger. Why is it that you respond in anger? And you yell at the person, you do an unkind hand gesture to them, whatever it might be, you respond in anger. Why? It's because in your heart, you were wanting something. Or you can respond with lying, fighting, adultery, sexual immorality. All of these things are behaviors. These are all fruit problems. These are what grows off of your tree. But where do they come from? What is the root of those problems is what you're wanting in your heart at the time. You have fruit problems, but really the cause are the root problems. The things that are in your heart that you're wanting at the time, those are your selfish desires. So let's illustrate it this way. You've got the, the, the paper with the illustration. We're going to be building that as we go through the lesson this morning. So we're talking about behavior. Your behavior is either what you think, what you, at, what you do, or what you say. Thinking, acting, or speaking. Where do these come from? Well, they come from your heart, from your desires, your lusts for five different P words, right? They come from your pleasure. If you have someone who acts out and commits adultery, that is the, root, the fruit problem, the adultery, but what is the root of that problem? Well, it's because in their heart, they're desiring someone. No one just wakes up in the morning and slips into bed with somebody else, Right? It's because in your heart you are desiring perhaps pleasure. If someone speaks lies to over-exaggerate their own importance, or like we were talking about this morning in our Bible class, you don't speak to your friends about Jesus because you're afraid of what they will think about you or what will say about you. Perhaps your heart is desiring the praise of men. If a husband yells at or even strikes his wife, because he wants control or power. If someone is sad because someone else got the promotion that they wanted and they're envious and self-pity, 
And maybe they're longing for possessions. Or maybe you just want peace. Why would a dad come home from a long day of work and his kids are being loud and you yell at them just to make them quiet and you scare them into quiet, being quiet? Have you ever ha- experienced that before? I've done that before. Why do I yell at my kids when I love my kids? It's because in that moment, I want a little bit of peace. Why do I do the things that I do? It's because in my heart, I'm wanting either pleasure, praise, power, possessions, or peace. Now the question is, is it wrong to want those things? Is it wrong to want a little bit nicer of a car? Is it wrong to want that new job at work, that new promotion? Is it wrong that you want your kids to be obedient or you want that better relationship with your spouse? And of course not. It's not wrong to want things. So when is it that those desires go too far? Let's look at verse 2 and 3. You desire, you want, and you do not have. Why? You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. When does a desire go too far? It's when I'm willing to sin in order to get what I want. You think of the kid in the grocery store and they see a toy and they start yelling and screaming because they want that toy. Why is it that I sin? Why is it that Eve sinned? It's because she saw, she desired, she took. If you're willing to sin in order to get what you want, that is giving in to your desires. Or if I act out sinfully because I am not getting what I want. Look at the verse again. You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. I'm responding in a coveting, envious way. Or like Cain does, he kills his brother, not in order to get something, but because he's not getting the praise that he wanted. So look at this chart again. What happens then when my heart is desiring pleasure, praise, power, possessions, or peace, and I act out in a sinful way either to get it or because I'm not getting what I want? How does that leave you feeling? Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. When I sin in order to get pleasure, say it is that sexual immorality, and I premarital sex, whatever it is, and I'm wanting that pleasure. Afterward, how do you feel? Doesn't matter what sin it is, sin will always leave you feeling stressed out, anxious, worried, guilty, despair. That's the biblical word that we use for the word depression or anger. Would you all agree with me that you can't drink away your problems? You can't do drugs and then all of a sudden your problems go away? Or more my problem, you can't just go get an entire bag of candy or a tub of ice cream and eat your problems away either. What you need to do is realize where these things come from. I want to make an important disclaimer here. 
not all anxiety and depression, some anxiety and depression is caused medically and should be treated medically. Postpartum depression is a very real medical thing and should be treated medically. But I would argue a great percentage of anxiety and depression that is treated with medicine, while that medicine may help, it's not going to fix your problems unless you go back to the root of your problems. Why do I feel the way that I feel? It's because I have done what I've done. And why do I do what I do? It's because I want what I want. So I also want to say this. If you're on medication right now for these things, don't just quit it. Don't quit medication because it can mess you up. But you should be working on those underlying issues, things that may have happened to you a long time ago, different traumas that have happened to you a long time ago. Work on those things so that one day you can, can be off of that medication. Do you realize that these things over here on the right are actually good things, that they're God-given? God wants you to feel guilty. If you are guilty of sin, he wants you to feel guilty. Why? Because it's an early warning light. Like that check engine light on your car. When I start feeling anxious or stressed out or depressed or angry, it should tell me something's not right with my heart. I am doing, acting, or saying something that isn't right because my heart is wanting something. So I need to check my heart. It's like that early warning system. You need to stop right there and change your heart and pray a prayer like, like the psalmist does. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me leading in the everlasting way. The result of unrighteous behavior, not fulfilling pleasures that last. Sin only leaves you feeling distressed. Sin always, always, always overpromises and underdelivers. It will not give you what you want to go. So as we continue on in James chapter 4, we see how this, this heart up here is described. This heart that's craving after pleasure and praise and power and possessions and peace. Look at verse 4. That heart is described as in a state of adultery. Remember, this is writing to Christians, to believers, and he's saying, you are an adulterous people. James 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Adultery is the breaking of a covenant relationship. We are supposed to be God's people. When we were baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. We're supposed to, Romans 6, bury that old man of sin and let him stay buried. But when you go back to where your heart is desiring selfish things, he calls it adultery. Another term that is used for that throughout the Bible is the word idolatry. Ezekiel, God comes to Ezekiel and says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put sinful stumbling blocks in front of them. Not the little wooden statues that people would bow down to. Instead, their idols are inside their hearts. It's their desires, those sinful desires that they have. And they're bowing down and worshiping the God of pleasure, the God of praise of men. God of power, the God of possessions, 
God of peace. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. All of those things are idolatrous. His heart is also described as being a friend of the world in James 4 verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Hey, friend, that doesn't sound too bad, right? Being a friend to people, that's not bad. But when you look at 1 John chapter 2 when it says all the things that are in the world, right after it says don't love the world or the things in the world, all the things that are in the world, the desires of the flesh or lust of the flesh, the desires or lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that we're about to talk about, those are the things that are in the world. And when you are a friend of the world, that is what you are worshiping. Worldly things. You're also described as a hostile enemy toward God. Again, James 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. And as a Christian, that is not where I want to be. Why is it that we feel the way that we feel? It's because we do what we do. Why do we do what we do? It's because we want what we want. Well, why do we want these things? Why do I want this pleasure so much? Well, it's because I am deceived into thinking that pleasure is going to be lasting to give me happiness. Proverbs 27 verse 20 says, People's eyes are never satisfied. What do the people in power want? More power. And what are they afraid to lose? Their power. The people who are rich in this world and have all the possessions, what do they want? More possessions. That's, but there is a deception in there. Some of the most miserable people that you'll ever find in the world are the people that are the richest. You hear about it all the time. The people whose marriages are falling apart, blowing up. The richest people in the world are incredibly unhappy. Why? It's because they've been deceived to think that riches provide happiness. The biblical word for addiction, you won't find addiction in the Bible. But the biblical word for that is enslaved. You see that in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, where you were enslaved to sin, but now you are slaves of righteousness. You have obeyed from the heart. And Titus 3, verse 3 says, We too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions, pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and detesting one another. You know the alcoholic didn't become an alcoholic probably because he loved the taste of it so much that he just kept drinking it? It probably started out perhaps as a social thing, just because it was the thing to do among all of his buddies, but then he noticed that it knocked a little bit of the edge off at the end of the day. But the more you do it, the more you need it to knock that edge off. You're trying to use it to forget your problems. And it never works. And before you know, you are enslaved to it. Same is true for pornography. Same is true for anything that that people of this world are enslaved to. Ultimately, this heart is called a proud heart. James 4 verse 6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. This heart is putting themselves above God. 
instead of below God. This is a heart that says, I don't need God. I will find my own happiness, my own path. And what is their result? Matthew chapter 23, verse 12 says, Whoever exalts himself, whoever is prideful, will be humbled. The ultimate result of this is humiliation. Always, 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 when you are following the desires of your heart, either in this life or in the next, your sin will find you out and you will be humbled. I don't care who you are in this world, your sin will find you out. That's what Numbers chapter 32 verse 23 says. So let's look at this illustration a little bit more. This person puts himself above God. He is described as being in an idolatrous, adulterous relationship. And he is a hostile enemy of God, and he is deceived and enslaved. He is described as a proud heart, and because of that, God is opposed to him. Do you want, to be opposed? Do you want God to be opposed to you? We've got to figure out how to handle this. You may be thinking, I can't do this. How do I, how do I get out of this? We need to have a different heart. Instead of a heart that desires our own pleasure and praise and power and possessions and peace, we need to have a, a heart that asks, what does God want me to do in this situation? And when... Every time before you act, you ask, you remember those little bracelets, the what would Jesus do? What would he do in my place? What does he want me to do in this situation? It changes how you act and speak and think. You're cut off in traffic again, and you could respond in anger, but instead you think, that person in the other car, he's a sinner just like I am. And he needs the Lord. And instead of getting angry and lashing out, you feel pity and you pray for that person instead. And when you start acting differently and you're acting in a way to please the Lord, what is the result then? How do you feel when you go out of your way to be generous to someone and they don't even know it was you who did it? How do you feel after that? You feel good. You feel joy. Peace. You feel blessed and satisfied. You will be full when you act, speak, and think in a way that God would want you to. So the question is, how do you get there? How do you go from a heart that's living for myself and go to a heart that is desiring to please God? He's going to say, you need to purify your hearts, you double-minded. And boy, do I feel that. My heart wants to please God, but... Man, I keep slipping back in to the, trying to please myself instead. I feel double-minded. How do you purify your heart? Boy, I'm glad James 4 didn't end with verse 3. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 6. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. 
Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, the first time I taught this, I missed something. How do you do this? Can you just, by willpower, say, I'm going to be more humble and I'm determined to be more humble? Can you do that? Can you willpower yourself into humility? No, it's like someone coming up out of the waters of baptism, spiking a football and said, I just baptized that baptism so hard. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't work. You can't willpower your way into humility. So how do you do it? Notice the first thing that he says in verse 6. God gives greater grace. I can't change my own heart. I can't cleanse my own heart. I need the grace of God. God resists the proud, but he gives greater grace to the humble. What you need to do is see and crave the grace of God. Grace is God's gift to us that empowers us to walk in him. That's what grace is. I like that definition way more than than unmerited favor, whatever that means. Let me repeat it again. God's grace is his empowering us to walk in him. He gives us the power and strength to be able to follow him. Again, you cannot willpower yourself into humility. You need to see and crave the grace of God because that's the only way you're going to change your heart. How do you do that? Well, you can't. But I know someone who can. Jesus specializes in changing hearts. Amen? Anybody? Amen. Thank you. Jesus specializes in changing hearts. Notice how Ezekiel puts it. Looking forward to the Messiah, he says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. God is the one who does the changing. You just have to submit to him and desire it and submit to him and give your life to him and he will do the changing. Psalm 51 verse 10 is again a prayer says, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then how do you keep doing that? Well, you listen to God. And he is revealed to himself through his word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. How do we keep trimming off that sinful man that keeps trying to creep back up into our hearts? You listen to the word of God because it is powerful. It is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You read read that passage again. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 
that he gives greater grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. And then, and you see right here, I know it's the small word there, but grace. You see God's grace and you crave it. And then the next thing that he says is submit to God. Submit to the Lord. Say, you're in control. I want to do what you want me to do. In this is baptism. If you haven't become a Christian... That's step number one. That's not step number 30. You die with Christ in water and be raised up a new person. You submit to God. You resist the devil. When he comes to tempt you, you say no. And when you do fall, you get back up and you say no. You resist the devil. You draw near to God. How do you draw near to anyone? How do I draw near with my wife? Well, through communication. I listen to her and I talk to her. How do I draw near to God? Same way. You talk to Him in prayer and you listen to Him from reading His Word. You cleanse your hands. This is the picture of the kid after they've been playing outside and they come up and show your hands and they're just nasty and then you tell them to go wash and they come back with hands that are still dripping all over your floor and say, look, my hands are clean. This is where you ask for forgiveness. And when you ask for forgiveness, He is faithful and just to forgive you from all of your sin, immediately and fully and completely. And then He says something so weird. You want to be happy? You want to be joyful? You need to be miserable first. You want satisfaction in life? Be miserable and mourn and weep. So start crying. Does that seem weird to you? seems a little bit strange. But you, have you ever heard that the book of James, in a lot of ways, is a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And that sermon is about the kingdom of God. And especially that first part, the Beatitudes, are about who can be admit, admitted into the kingdom of God. Does that sound familiar, those who weep? Let's look through these Beatitudes really quick. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Poor in spirit. Do you know how they break a horse? Have you ever heard that term, breaking, breaking a horse? They get a wild horse, and there's no way anybody can sit on this horse. But they, and they get it used to a saddle, and then eventually used to a rider. And then finally their spirit, their wild spirit is broken. And then they're friendly, and they can be ridden. Verse 3 says, Blessed whose spirit... Spirit is broken. My selfish heart has been broken because I recognize my own sin. Who gets to be part of the kingdom of heaven? The one whose spirit has been broken. And when their spirit is broken, they mourn, like James chapter 4 says. When it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, it's not talking about the person whose cat died and now they're sad. This is talking about people who are welcome in the kingdom of God are the ones who mourn over their own sins. They see themselves for who they really are. A sinner who is in desperate need of a Savior. And they mourn because of the way that they've hurt God. And that can leave you nowhere but being humble. You humble yourself in the sight of God. And when you do that, you get everything. You inherit the earth. 
But when you see yourself in the light of your own sin, and you have humbled yourself before God, how are you going to see everybody else? Are you going to see yourself above all the other people around you? Well, no. You're going to see them as being just like you in desperate need of a Savior, and you will be merciful to them. Sorry, I forgot verse 6 was there. When you do this, you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. That comes in two parts. You will hunger to be right before God, that God, just like Abraham did for Abraham, Abraham believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. He was declared to be right before God. But you also want to do what is right. Not just a hearer of the word, but a, a doer of the word, as James chapter 1 says. And you'll be merciful to other people. And that's when you are shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Remember when James chapter 4 says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. When you go through these steps, this is how you purify your heart, and when you have a heart that is pure, you will see God. And that leads to the final verse this morning, Ephesians 4, I'm sorry, James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and what is the ultimate result? He will exalt you. What happens to the proud heart? What is his ultimate outcome? Always, their sins will find them out and they will be humbled. They will be brought low. But the one who humbles themselves and submits to God, that man will be exalted. I hope you come back tonight. Because tonight, we're going to give, do a character study. We're going to illustrate James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10 by looking at one man. He is a writer of the Bible, and he goes through this entire steps. You will see a man who is broken. He is anxious. He is depressed. He is full of envy of the people who are around him. And he is so full of self-pity and self-loathing that you wonder, why did God even put this in the Bible? But then you also see a man who submits to God, draws near to God, purifies his heart. That man is the, name, is the man Asaph. We're, tonight we're going to study Psalm 73. And we'll see how you go from a heart that is living for pleasure, praise, power, possessions, and, and peace to a heart that is desiring for God. You'll see a man whose circumstances don't change. He's still in, surrounded by all of these people, but yet his entire attitude has changed. How do you do that? I hope you come back tonight. If you feel convicted this morning and you see that there's a need that you have in your life that you need a change, that you don't want to live for yourself anymore, but you want to live for the Savior who loved you and died for you, we will invite you right now to make that commitment. I'm going to do something a little bit different because I know that we have visitors here. Would the elders of this congregation please stand up for a moment? 
If you're here and you're a visitor and you don't know who the elders are, and you're feeling something in your heart, these are the men that this congregation has designated as spiritual leaders who know the Scriptures, who can speak God's Word into you. And they can help you overcome your issues, whatever they be, and they can help you know Jesus better. If there's a way that we can help you, we ask you to come either to the front or take one of these men aside. We ask you to come to the front as we stand and as we sing the invitation song.